It was such a joy this morning to be able to deliver the Word of God to you once again, and especially to teach on the topic that we're going to look at this morning, a topic that has almost altogether been completely forgotten in American churches today, and yet is central to living our lives here for the glory of God. If you recall, we're in the middle of a study that is all about how to be a first responder to the gospel. And by using the word gospel, we mean that wonderfully good news recorded in the pages of Scripture alone that sinners like you and me, who would otherwise be hopelessly condemned because of our sins beneath God's wrath, can be saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And we've studied each one of those brilliant truths one point at a time. But as you can see from that definition that we've given, this gospel that we as believers now experience and enjoy on a daily basis leads directly to something. It leads to the glory of God alone. So the question rises then, in light of the wondrous salvation that has been given to us as a gift from God in Christ, how do we now live the rest of our lives for the glory of God, the purpose of our existence, the purpose of our salvation. How do we live the rest of our lives for the glory of God? How do we now pursue the great purpose and pleasure of our lives? Or as 1 Thessalonians 2.12 puts it, how do we now walk in a manner worthy of God who has called us into His own kingdom and glory? How do we respond to the gospel for the glory of God? Well, we're told how to. In Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 42. This is the passage we've been working through as the outline passage for our study. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 42, we're told how the early church responded to the gospel for the glory of God at its very inception. Acts 2, 41 through 42 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 42, we see that the church responded to the gospel for the, for, for the glory of God in four foundational ways. First, they believed. Second, they were baptized. Third, they were added to the local church. And fourth, they devoted themselves to building each other up in their most holy faith. So these are four ways that we as believers are to respond to the gospel for the glory of God. We are to begin living our lives in response to the gospel for the glory of God first by believing. Scripture says that they received his word, that is the gospel that the apostles preached. They embraced the saving message of Jesus Christ by faith. And so if you want to respond to the gospel for the glory of God, first and foremost, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. You must believe. Second, as we saw last week, we must be baptized. Those who received his word were baptized. Having embraced Jesus Christ by faith to the glory of God, they immediately followed Christ in obedience to the glory of God by being baptized, by going public with their profession and letting all those that they knew that they were immersed and one with Jesus Christ. So must we. We who have been immersed into Jesus Christ spiritually must testify to that saving reality by being baptized physically to the glory of God. We must, as 
Acts says, rise and be baptized. Well, that brings us to the third response that we are to have as believers to the gospel for the glory of God, and that is to be added. Believe, be baptized, and be added to the local church. And this third response, by the way, is very closely tied to the second one that we saw last week. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 says this, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Literally, they believed, and in response, they were baptized into the church. Into the church. Their baptism brought them into membership with the local body of believers, those who professed faith in Jesus Christ. And for nearly 2,000 years, this is how believers around the globe have consistently responded to the gospel for the glory of God. They've believed, they've been baptized, and they've been added to the local church. Well, in just the last 50 years or so, though, we are seeing a radical shift in America, away from that nearly 2,000-year consistent testimony and witness. A recent Gallup poll published in April of last year shows that the percentage of church membership among regular church attendees in America has been experiencing a steady decline over the last 55 years with an increasingly rapid acceleration over the last two decades or 20 years. For example, in the 1960s, nearly 73% of all regular church goers in America were church members. Today, only 50% are. And among those who are 30 and younger, only about 42% are. In fact, over the last 20 years in America alone, there's been nearly a 20% decrease in church membership across the board. And by the way, that goes not only for all churches in America. This trend is holding true even of churches that hold to like faith and practice as we. Even among Protestant evangelical believers Over one-third, 33% of those who regularly attend church will never become a member of any local church ever. So after nearly 2,000 years of believers consistently responding to the gospel for the glory of God by believing, being baptized, and being added to a local church, now nearly one out of every three individuals sitting in church services are not members of the church they currently attend and frankly never plan to be. As a result, it's not uncommon to meet Christians who move from church to church every few years, never submitting themselves to the care of elders and never committing themselves to a group of fellow believers. Hence the rise of a new generation of professing believers in America that is now termed church hoppers. People who, while professing faith in Jesus Christ, quickly move from one church to another, living a Christian life that requires from them little faithfulness, little commitment, and little accountability to any local church at all. And they would even contend that such a concept of church membership perhaps might be unbiblical. Well, this morning, just like last week, I want to do another course correction, just like we did with baptism, and show you from the pages of Scripture alone that church membership, covenanting yourselves in a devoted way to other believers in Christ, in a local church, is not only biblical, 
It is essential if you are going to live your life here as a believer for the glory of God. According to the pages of Scripture alone, members of the body of Christ are to be members of a local church. Members are members. And we're going to see this through a series of five points this morning. We're going to examine first the significance of church membership. Then the indication of church membership that we see in the pages of Scripture. Followed by the necessity, the benefits, and lastly the motive of church membership. And so five points regarding the essential nature of biblical church membership. It's significance, it's indication, necessity, benefits, and motives. And I want you to see by the end of this message that church membership, again, is not only biblical, it is essential for living our lives in this world for the glory of God in response to the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Every believer should believe. Every believer should be baptized. Every believer should be added to the local body of Christ. So before we begin, however, let's ask the Lord to bless the giving and receiving of his word which our afflictions have taught us to keep and never to go astray from. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much this morning for the truth we get to study. Father, we thank you for the faithful testimony of your word that when we behold the glory of Jesus Christ and have our eyes opened in faith to his beauty and trust in him, As we desire to live for him and for his glory, Father, you have not kept us in the dark about how to do that. But you have given us this entire word as a worship manual to follow you and to obey you for your honor and glory. And beyond even that, you have given us here in your word in Acts chapter 2 a blueprint to follow as we begin our Christian lives for your glory. Father, I pray that this morning you would open our eyes to the truth of how important it is for us as believers in Jesus Christ to be devoted to each other. To be devoted to our brothers and sisters in Christ through good times and through bad. Teach us what it means, Father, to truly be a family in Christ Jesus pray, Father, that you would do a work in our hearts this morning for your honor and for your glory. May we hear your voice and obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to be a first responder to the gospel for the glory of God, we see in Acts chapter 2 that you first must believe, you second must be baptized, and you third must be added. The Bible calls all believers, those who have already accepted Jesus Christ by faith, and are saved, the Bible calls all believers to be added to a local church. And so to present the case for biblical church membership, I want you to see first the significance of church membership. The significance of church membership. Church membership is important for, frankly, the exact same reason that baptism is. Both actions physically symbolize a spiritual and saving reality in Jesus. You are immersed physically in water, as a sign or a symbol of being immersed spiritually in Christ. Likewise, you become a member physically of a local church as a sign or symbol that you are a member spiritually of the body of Christ as well. 
through the picture of church membership, a believer publicly identifies himself with Jesus and with the reality of being vitally joined to his body. Romans 12, 4-5 says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And 1 Corinthians 12, 12-13, which we saw this morning, For just as the body is one, and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So that's the spiritual reality that church membership pictures and proclaims. When someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they become a very real part of him. As intimately and as vitally life-connected as your arm is to your body. That's why you study scripture and it says you are one in him. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, right? You are vitally connected to your head who is Jesus. And you receive life from him. You become a member of the body of Christ. Church membership is a picture and a proclamation of that publicly. There's a significance to church membership I want you to see. And it is genuine salvation. See, some people think that the idea of church membership is extra-biblical. And that we stole it from the society around us, almost like a gym membership or something, right? Hey, that gym down the street has a great idea. How about we copy that, right? We could keep names of everybody that belongs. We can follow up with them. It's a great idea. People have this idea like churches stole the idea of membership like we stole it from Planet Fitness up the street or something like that. It's ridiculous. We did not steal the idea of membership from Planet Fitness. Planet Fitness stole the idea of membership from us. The idea of membership, ladies and gentlemen, comes from the church and the definition of the church. It comes from the Bible when it teaches that the local church is the body of Christ and we are members of it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you, and that's plural in the Greek, so he's saying, you Corinthian church, you local church are the body of Christ. You are the local representation, manifestation of the body of Christ and you are individually members of it. So there you have it. Paul is teaching that the local church is a picture. It is a local representation of the body of Christ and that each individual believer is and ought to be a member of it. So that's where the idea of member comes from. All right. So it doesn't come from society. It comes from scripture. The scriptural concept that believers are members vitally connected to a body. So for example, if you're still having a hard time to understand this, what would you say if my arm got cut off? It's kind of grotesque, but you would say I've been dismembered, right? Why would you say I've been dismembered? It's because this, these fingers, this hand, this arm is a member of my body. And to lose a part of it is to lose one of my members. I've been dismembered. This is exactly how the Bible describes how extremely important it is for a believer to be vitally connected as a member to the local body of Christ. It is as important as your arm is to be vitally connected to your body. 
So this is the significance of church membership that I want you to see. It pictures genuine salvation and it proclaims, by faith I am now a part of the body of Christ and a vitally connected member of it with these my fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus. That's why those who believed and were baptized in Acts chapter 2 were immediately added to their numbers. About 3,000 souls. It's because church membership is significant. That's why they responded that way. It pictures and it proclaims genuine salvation. Now, you might be thinking this morning, okay, that's really good, but how do I know that this picture uh, of this spiritual reality wasn't just invented by men, right? That they didn't just look at a spiritual picture in the Bible and say, hey, let's try to create a physical way to represent that. Well, that brings us to the next indication, the indication of church membership. We've seen the significance of church membership. Now let's consider the indication of church membership. How do we know that church membership actually existed in the early church? The answer is we find indications of it everywhere throughout the New Testament. First indicator that I want you to consider this morning is a transfer of belonging. When you study scripture, you start seeing this idea talked about in the epistles of someone officially affiliated with one local church then wanting to be officially affiliated with another one. Uh, for example, in Romans 16, 1 through 16, we see a list of names that Paul mentions at the end of the book of Romans. And what you see in that list seems to be an awareness of who officially was a church member, who belonged to what church. The most notable of these is, is uh, Phoebe in verses 1 through 2, where Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Kencray, that you may welcome her in the Lord. So here you see that Phoebe is officially recognized as a servant of the church in Kencray. And since she is moving to Rome, Paul sends the letter, the epistle of Rome, with her as a commendation letter with her to the church in Rome so that she would be officially welcomed as a member there as well. So Phoebe had an official affiliation with a church in Kencray, and now she wanted an official affiliation with a church in Rome. And the letter of Rome is actually one of those letters of commendation. So we see from scripture that churches, or at least those two churches, kept track of who belonged to their body and when they moved and transferred from one church to another. The second indicator of church membership that you see in scripture is a record of belonging. Not only a transfer, but a record being kept of who belonged to the local body and who didn't. So for example, in Acts chapter 2, our guiding passage in this study, we learn that after the sermon in Pentecost, a numerical record was kept in verse 41 of those who believed and were baptized, right? It records there in verse 41 about 3,000 souls. And this practice continued because you look later on in verse 47 of Acts chapter 2 that the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. There was a numerical record being kept of those who had believed and had been baptized into the church, and this ongoing numerical record enabled the early church to make some very important decisions. Listen to this. For example, later on in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, we are told that elections took place in Jerusalem church in order for deacons to be chosen. And then, over in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 6, we're told that the church in Corinth voted on a church discipline issue that, by Paul's own words, passed by a majority. Question. How did those churches know and determine who could vote 
and who couldn't? And how did those churches know if they had a majority and if they didn't? The answer is they had a specific numerical record of who exactly had believed and been baptized into the local church. You could almost call it a church membership role. See, sometimes people look at the church and they see us voting on things, right? Voting on on leaders, voting on members being added or members being taken out. And we look at issues like that of having voting members and we think, oh, you just stole that from the United States government. No, we didn't. We did not. It's in the Bible. The United States government took the idea of voting membership from the church. We started it. We created it. It's from Scripture. Finally, the third indicator that you see in Scripture of church membership is a consensus of belonging. Not only a transfer of belonging and a record of belonging, but a consensus of belonging. That's this, this simple point. You study Scripture, there is never one example in the entire New Testament of a believer who is a drifter that is visiting different churches like eating at a buffet. You'll find that every single genuine believer described in Scripture was a committed member of a local church. So much so... That when God wanted to talk to believers, and you study the New Testament, primarily he had letters written to what? Churches. Why? Because that's where the believers were. There are many other examples that I could mention, but here you at least see three indicators or signs of church membership in the New Testament. That in the New Testament there was a transfer, a record, and a consensus of belonging to the local church. So you might still be thinking this morning though, All right, well, help me understand. Why did believers consider church membership to be so important that it was literally created alongside the church? The answer is because it is impossible. Listen to this. It is impossible to faithfully follow Christ's commands apart from being a devoted member of a local church. And I want to prove that to you this morning. If you're not a devoted, covenanted member with a local church, you're going to have a really hard time obeying some very explicit commands given to you as a believer in the pages of Scripture. So I want you to see next the necessity of church membership. Being faithfully obedient to Scripture requires being added to a local church in membership. To demonstrate this, I'd like us to consider the following biblical commands regarding church leadership, church discipline, and church fellowship. So in order to obey these commands, you have, to be, you have to have something like church membership. First, church membership is required for commands regarding church leadership. I want you to consider for a moment this question. Christians, who are you responsible to? Who are you responsible to? The scriptures clearly command that Christians, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, are to submit to, honor, and obey their spiritual leaders. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 says that we are to honor them. So my question for you all believers this morning is this, What leaders of what church are you as a believer responsible to submit to, honor, and obey? If there's no biblical requirement to belong to any specific local church, then which leaders should an individual Christian submit to, honor, and obey? Is it any leader of any local church? Are you required to submit, honor, and obey to the, church, to the leaders of the church down the street? 
or to a church in Texas or Canada or Africa? No, this verse says obey your leaders and submit to them. This implies that every believer has and knows a specific spiritual leader that he or she is accountable to, which in turn assumes that they belong to a local church over which that person is the spiritual leader. And the command, by the way, to submit to and obey, to the, obey those leaders indicates that the nature of your relationship is grounded on something a little bit more concrete and substantive than just current agreement with them, right? Oh, I only obey, submit, and honor those that I agree with. It's not what Scripture says. You're to belong to something so securely and so concretely that even when you disagree with your spiritual leader, you're to show them honor. You're to show them submission. You're to show them obedience. This is not picturing people that just move in and out of churches whenever they have problems. This is describing something a lot more serious, a lot more faithful and committed. So obeying the command of being responsible to a local spiritual leader requires church membership. Second, I want to ask the question, not only Christians, who are you responsible to, but consider for a moment, leaders, who are you responsible for? This is a question I ask myself. Scripture clearly commands that spiritual leaders are to care for specific people. Acts 20.28, Paul commanded the Ephesian elders, be careful and pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 2 tells us, so I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God. So my question for you, spiritual leaders, is this. Who am I, who am I going to be held accountable for when I stand before God someday spiritually as an elder? Will I as an elder be held accountable for the entire community of West Liberty when I stand before him someday? The answer is no. Elders are responsible to provide spiritual oversight for the flock of God. That's believers. Contrary to English tradition that you see in Great Britain, I am not responsible for a parish or for an entire community. I have been appointed over a local body of believers to give them spiritual leadership. You say, well, okay, well, what believers am I accountable to? All believers in West Liberty. All believers in Ohio. All believers in America. Nope. 1 Peter 5, 2 says this. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Even Acts 20, 29 points it out that we are responsible for the flock that is among us. So here's the answer. I will only be held accountable one day for those who have become a member who have joined themselves to the flock of God that is among me. There are many churches and believers in America that I have strong theological and philosophical differences with. Praise the Lord, I will not be held accountable for what they teach in their Bible studies, how they spend their money, and how they live their lives. Only those who are a member who have joined themselves to the flock of God in this faith family are those that I will have to be held accountable for someday before God. And that is enough. That is enough. So the biblical commands regarding leadership requires church membership if they are to be faithfully followed. Second, for commands regarding discipline, church membership is necessary. One of the things when you study Scripture is that Scripture very clearly states that when there is someone who is professing the name of Jesus Christ and is living unrepentantly in sin, the church is to take action. Matthew 18, 15 through 20 states that the, early, that the church is to treat 
The unrepentant person as an unbeliever, as someone who is not a part of the body of Christ. Now, some people have taken the idea of church discipline and said, well, that means public shunning. Someone professes the name of Jesus Christ and is living unrepentantly. You are just, you see him on one side of the street, you go over and walk on the other one. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. By the way, how are we supposed to treat unbelievers? Well, when someone is an unbeliever, what do you do? You go up to them, right? Try to establish a relationship with them. You try to share the gospel with them. You try to show them their sin, and you try to point them to faith in Jesus Christ. That is not public shunning. That is evangelism being talked about. So if Matthew 18 is not talking about physically separating from someone, what is Matthew 18 talking about? The answer is it's not talking about a physical separation. It's talking about a formal separation. By formally declaring... You know what? We love this person. We seek their, their spiritual best interest, but they are not walking with us or in accordance to God's word. They are in blatant disobedience. We can no longer say they are of us. I have a question for you. How can you formally disassociate with someone if there's no such thing as formally associating with anyone? How can a church formally separate from someone who has never formally joined their body? See, for a church discipline to mean anything, there has to be something called church membership. Matthew 18 necessitates church membership. Also, here's just one final passage. 1 Corinthians 5, 12-13. Paul says this, What do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, so purge the evil person from among you. How can you officially purge anyone out of a fellowship if there isn't even an official into the fellowship? The biblical commands regarding church discipline only make sense in the context of church membership. So church membership is necessary if we're going to obey the biblical commands of church leadership, if we as a church are going to obey the biblical commands of church discipline, and finally church membership is necessary if we're going to obey the commands regarding church fellowship. Scripture clearly commands that believers are responsible to meet together regularly to practice the one another commands of Scripture. Hebrews 10, 24-25 says this, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I have a question for you, believer. Who are you commanded to regularly fellowship with? The, only the believers that you like? Or the believers that you have been devotedly covenanted with in a local church? Are you commanded to regularly fellowship with every believer on planet earth? Or with a very specific group of people that scripture has in mind? Let me answer that question by asking another question. How can you faithfully obey the commands of love one another? Be devoted to one another? Honor one another? live in harmony with one another, welcome one another, agree with one another, have equal concern for one another, teach one another, forgive one another, confess your sins to one another. How can you be faithful and committed to obeying all of those commands you see in Scripture? Answer by being a faithful and committed member of a local church by saying, I am covenanting myself together. I am devoting myself to carrying out these commands to these believers in this place. 
So the commands regarding leadership, discipline, fellowship can only seriously, truly be obeyed by a believer in the context of church membership. Church membership is necessary if we are to faithfully obey the commands of Scripture. Now, if you're anything like me, as you're starting to hear all this and understand it all, you might be thinking, wow, I had no idea that the Bible advocated for church membership this strongly in all these ways. But why? Why is God so concerned that I join myself to a local body of believers as a member? That brings us forth to the benefits of church membership really quickly. The benefits. First, church membership gives to a believer spiritual protection. When you study scripture, what you find out is to not be a formal part of a local church body puts a person in very dangerous territory. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Timothy 1 teaches this. Outside the accountability of a local church, a believer is left exposed to the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil with no one around him committed to helping him in his hour of need. Believers need other believers. Believers need other believers. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through 12 says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can someone keep warm when they're alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two can withstand him and a threefold cold cord is not quickly broken every believer needs the spiritual accountability and protection of other believers church membership gives spiritual protection second church membership gives spiritual growth when you become a member of a local church you've committed yourself to love god's children you've committed yourself in love to god's children you become a part of their guidance their teaching their encouragement their discipline all for your own benefit In such an environment like that, you will grow. That's what Hebrews chapter 10 was talking about, right? As I faithfully interact with other people in my local church, I am encouraged and stirred up into love and good works. That's a good thing. And by the way, I'm also rebuked because when I stand next to someone who's more spiritually mature than me, I'm convicted of my own life and encouraged to grow as well. That's a good thing too. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. I need the faithful fellowship and accountability of other believers in my life as I seek to grow, as Ephesians 4.13 puts it, into a mature manhood, into the image of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. That only happens, ladies and gentlemen, in the context of a local church. Church membership gives me that opportunity for protected growth. And that's the greatest benefit imaginable, is it not? To grow and be spiritually protected for the glory of God. And that brings us right back to the motive. What causes someone to say, you know what? I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want everyone to know that by belonging to those who belong to Him. I want to become a member of this church. What causes someone to take that step? That brings us to our final point. Which is really the application of this message this morning. And, that is, and it's also a setup for next week. What is the motive for church membership? I would say the motive for church membership is loving devotion. 
loving devotion. As we wrap this up, I want you to go back to our outline passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 42. And I want to draw your attention to a very important word, a word that is at the very heart of church membership. Acts 2, 41 through 42 says this, So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, and they, listen to this, what's the word? They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves. I want you to consider this morning as we conclude this message. What does devotion mean? What is devotion? This is the definition I would give. Devotion is love. It is love that expresses itself in utter dedication. It is love that expresses itself in faithfulness. It is love that expresses itself in selfless service. Devotion is love that embraces the accountability and responsibility of love. You say, I, I, have, I have a hard time picture this. That's not true. Think of marriage. You know exactly what devotion ought to look like, right? Biblically, when you are devoted to and you love someone, what do you do? You get married. You devote yourself to them. You accept the accountability and responsibility of that love. Ladies and gentlemen, when, when you're devoted to and you love a local body of believers, what do you do? You become a member. You accept the accountability and responsibility of that love. Now, some Christians might sit there and say, well, sure, you know, this guy's my pastor, and I love this church. I'm devoted to it. I'm devoted to its teaching and its fellowship, but I just prefer not to formally recognize that fact through membership. Listen, that is not devotion. How weird would it be for some guy to say, oh, sure, I love this woman. I'm devoted to her but I prefer not to formally recognize that fact through marriage. I don't know about you, but I'd be questioning that man's love because true love and true devotion accepts the accountability and responsibility of that love. How much do you really love a local body if you've always got one foot ready to jump out the door the moment there's one disagreement you have with someone? We've lost the concept of devoting ourselves to each other in Christ. How ironic is it that believers everywhere are bemoaning the lack of faithfulness with today's marriages, yet at the same time are exhibiting that same type of faithlessness towards the church, the bride of Christ. I want the benefits of the relationship, but I don't want the accountability. I want the benefits of the relationship but not the responsibility. Listen, that's not how love works. That is not devotion. Devotion embraces the accountability and responsibility of love. And by the way, I want to finish with this. Your devotion to a local church speaks volumes concerning your ultimate devotion to Jesus Christ. How is love for Jesus expressed according to Jesus' words? It's by, expressed by loving the church. Jesus said this in John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. When someone says, I love Jesus, but I just can't stand the church, I have to question that. How can you claim to love Jesus and not love his body, the church? 
How can you not love those whom Christ loves? Those who love Jesus love the church. And by the way, those who serve Jesus serve the church as well. That's what we're going to start seeing next week. We're told in Romans 12, 1 through 2, that in light of the mercies of God, in light of the gospel, we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And a lot of us love memorizing those verses, right? Yeah, let's make ourselves living sacrifices to God. Now I'm going to invent all the ways that I think it looks like to follow God in that way. Did you know Paul actually gives the, the way that we're to express that living sacrifice to God in that passage? If you look further on into Romans 12, verse 5, this is what Paul says. You make yourself a living sacrifice to God by serving in the church. Listen to this. Romans 12, 5. We are one body in Christ and individually members of another Verse 6, therefore, having gifts that differ according to the grace of God given to us, let us use them. The application that Paul gives in Romans 12 towards serving God is serving the church. So how can you claim to serve Christ and not be serving the church? Serving all these other things in the world, but not serving the church. Those who love and serve Jesus love and serve His people. They are devoted to Him. This is the motivation to church membership. And I can't create it in you. I can't. It's something only God can do. But it is something that God does do through the gospel for His glory. And so this morning, if you have recognized the importance of what church membership really means, and you all of a sudden realizing, I have been neglecting devoting myself to the body of Christ, I urge you this morning, respond to the gospel and be added to the local church. Go public. Love and serve Jesus Christ by loving and serving those whom He loves and serves as well. See, when we join the local church, we proclaim, I love Jesus And I'm going to join this fellowship and I'm going to give my time, I'm going to give my talent, my resources, and the rest of my life to making this body everything Jesus wants it to be for his honor and glory. That's devotion. That's love. That's obedience. That is church membership. And I will offer my life in service to a group of people in a specific location for the glory of God because that's what the gospel and that's what my salvation is all about. It's not about me And what I want, it's about God and His glory. So, the significance of church membership, genuine salvation. The indication of church membership, affiliation, official affiliation. The necessity of church membership, faithful obedience, benefits of church membership, protective growth, and the motive of church membership, loving devotion. I hope you've seen this morning how clear Scripture is regarding this manner. Members of the body of Christ are to be members of a local church. Therefore, becoming a member of a local church is not a matter of personal preference, but of biblical obedience and loving devotion. It's a matter of responding rightly to the gospel for the glory of God. Believe, be baptized, be added to the local church. I'd encourage you, if you are not a member, if you are a believer but not a member of any local church, first find one. Find one that is dedicated to being a gospel-centered church that produces gospel-centered changes in gospel-centered believers. And second, once you find it, join it. As pastor of this church, I'd say you don't have to look far. If you want to be interested in joining this church, I'll be right in the back and you can talk to me as you're leaving this morning. 
Um, I'd love to talk to you about what God is doing here at Grace Chapel for His honor and for His glory and how you can be involved in it. But I want you to see this morning that members are members. So I'd encourage you to join us, won't you? Believe, be baptized, be added. This is the word of God for us today, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience. Towards that end, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this study that we've been able to have from your word this morning. Father, I thank you that your truth is consistent with itself. Now, we don't have to have a proof text of believe, be baptized, be added, and there you go. But we see that truth play out in almost every passage of the New Testament. The importance of belonging and devoting ourselves to a local body that is devoted to building us up and protecting us as well. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning that has not responded to the gospel in this way, I pray that they would do so this morning. I pray that they would talk to someone about how they can express the loving devotion that they have for Jesus by demonstrating that here in a local church. Father, I pray this for your honor and for your glory. Make us servants of you. Make us lovers of Jesus and of each other. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.